Let's pray. Lord God, we once again draw our attention back to your word and to you. And we pray today that you would speak to us out of your word. You would speak to us by the voice of your Holy Spirit. And then give us the grace to submit to your process that you could work your word in us. We thank you in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Well, we're continuing to talk about uh, what the kingdom of God looks like because we understand that our role in the earth is to extend the kingdom of God one person at a time into the earth. And uh, our role as followers of Jesus Christ, as subjects of his kingdom, uh, is to do his work here. Uh, we, we are purposely identifying over the last several weeks that the solution to our issues in this country and in our world and in our communities, the solution is not a political one. It's not one that we can vote on and solve all of our problems. It's not one that we can elect a particular person or a particular group of persons and solve all of our problems. But the only solution for mankind, the only solution for our community, for our world, is is when Jesus prayed, your kingdom come on earth, your will be done on earth, just like it is in heaven. That's the solution. You and I are the soldiers with that message and we, if we're going to go out into the communities and where we live, work, and play and bring the message of God's kingdom into the earth, and this means talking to people, then we need to at least have some concept of what the kingdom of God consists of and what it looks like. And two weeks ago, we did a message called the seed of the kingdom. And I told you then that we would probably spend two or three Sundays talking about seed or seed planting or seed bearing. And today is no different from that. Today I've entitled this message, The Condition of the Soil, which means it's going to be a dirty message. <laughs> Hang on. The, the condition of the soil. You, you want to say the condition of the soul. Well, the condition of the soul is really dependent upon the condition of the soil. And you'll see what I mean. Um, and inherent in this message is this, that the kingdom of, of God comes when the soil and the seed get together. When the soil and the seed get together, then God's kingdom comes. Now, I want to give you a verse, and I meant to look it up earlier. It's somewhere in the Bible. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, I meant to, because it's a great principle that we have to understand Let's see if my eyes can land on it here. I'm not going to look any further. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 15 somewhere that says, the First comes the natural and then the spiritual. First comes the natural and then the spiritual. You look that up in your concordance. And what Paul is writing there is not that the spiritual was here first. I mean, the natural was here first because we know the spiritual was here first and God spoke the natural in existence. But what he's saying to us is that we can see God's plan by looking at the natural. And the spiritual comes out of the natural. And we're talking about taking a physical seed and putting it in physical ground and you get some kind of a physical plant. Well, you take that principle and you move it over into the spiritual realm and the same, the same applies. So the natural comes first. And then the spiritual. So 
Consequently, you can learn a lot about God's kingdom and, and the way God operates by observing what happens in the natural. You can learn a lot. The kingdom of God comes when that soil and that seed get together. And what, and what we're learning from that is that the condition of our hearts determine the productivity of the seed. So, in our case, when we've moved from the natural to the spiritual, we've said the condition of the soil. So now we're saying the condition of the heart. So we understand they're one and the same in the spiritual realm. So the condition of our hearts, your heart and mine, is what determines the productivity of the seed that is planted in our heart. Now, today's message is going to be more about the follower of Jesus. The last few messages, last, the last one especially, two weeks ago, was one where we addressed our sowing seed, the seed of God, into people's hearts and lives out there. Uh, but a lot of what Jesus is addressing in this parable applies to us. We'll get into a little bit of, of uh, dealing with people who are outside God's kingdom, who are not followers of Jesus Christ. Um, but we have to understand, if we're going to understand about the condition of our hearts, we have to understand that Christianity is more than just a set of beliefs that we adhere to. I read, I'm reading a book, I think I told you anyway, I'm reading a book by a guy named Rodney Stark, who's a sociologist. The title of the book is The Rise of Christianity. Well, Rodney Stark is an avowed agnostic. So he only sees things in his book. And when you read books like this, you have to be able to understand. But he just sees things from a standpoint of religion or just a set of beliefs. We see things from a standpoint of a living, risen Savior that we connect with, we connect to, and we communicate with on a daily basis. We don't just have a figurehead who we look to is our God, we have a real person who is just as more alive than you and I are. And we, we hear him and we pray to him and we listen to his voice and he puts seed in our heart. So it's far more than that. So it's really important that we address the condition of our heart if we're going to engage with the Lord Jesus and then be his emissaries in the earth. Instead of just following a bunch of beliefs, that's, that's just religion. There's nothing about Christianity. And so he's, we're talking about levels of productivity. Jesus ends up by talking about varying levels of productivity, some 100, some 60, and some 30. Said I said two weeks ago, and I said three weeks ago, one thing we have to understand is that God's not fair. I love it when I say that. It gets so quiet you could hear a pin drop. God's not fair, or it wouldn't be 160 and 30. Anyway, I, I digress. We will talk just a little bit, a bit about the hearts of others into whose lives that we sow or we have sown seed into. Just a little bit. We'll get into that. But the principle, we have to, once again, two weeks ago, identified Luke chapter 8. I think it's verse 11. But Jesus says this when he's explaining this parable we're about to read. To them, he says, now the, the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. This, and this applies all through these parables about the seed that Jesus addresses. 
And so, again, the seed is the word of God. Albert Barnes really gives us a good uh, view of this when he says the seed represents the word of God communicated in any manner to the minds of people by the scriptures, by preaching, by acts of providence, and or by direct the direct influences of the Holy Spirit. So somehow God's word is applied and communicated to us through very varying vehicles. But either way, it's God's words of life that find their way to our hearts. And our hearts are the soil. And our receptivity to God's word is what we're after. So Matthew chapter 13, some uh, usually call this the parable of the sower or the parable of the sower and the soil. And so we're calling it the condition of the soil. And you can call it whatever you want. Somebody said, what should I call you, Pastor or Mr. Granger? I said, you call me in time for dinner and I'll be happy. That's all you need to worry about. So we're going to read uh, chapter 13, verse 1 through 9, and then we're going to skip down to 18. If you can and you're willing and able, I would ask you to stand while we read the scriptures. Uh, This morning I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and he sowed. Some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He, here's a key, he who has ears, let him hear. Now the disciples say, why do you speak to them in parables? And he goes into that. But then in verse 18, he says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. You may be seated. It's a very common, well-known parable that we've probably heard taught on many times. So I want to just touch on, first part, the parable itself. Uh, and, you know, he talks about those who hear but do not understand. Those That's the ones that fall along the path, the wayside. Uh, some think that uh, the one of the lazy ways of plowing in those days, and they actually, some people would actually do it, was to take a, a mule and tie a bag of seed to the back of the mule, punch a hole in the bag, and let the mule walk down the row, and, you know, the seed spilling out. 
And in, in using that example, they said some of the seed would fall to the wayside. And there was actually a path in those days in a field or in a garden. There was actually a path between the rows. And it was actual path. People would use them for, for walking. And so it was tamped down and hard. And so the seed would fall to the wayside. And some, anyway, that's the example. Some people even think that Jesus, when he got into the boat, by the way, isn't that, isn't that some, uh, advanced technology to be able to go out and get into a boat and speak to all of these people up on the shore knowing, I mean, Jesus made it, so I guess he should know it, that the acoustics off of that water was going to be perfect to speak to all these people. That's another topic for another day. But some people think that he saw a farmer up on the shore working his garden and began to use that farmer. Because some in the Greek, it actually says the sower. doesn't just say a sower. It says the sower went to sow. So anyway, that means nothing to us really, but it's just it maybe interesting to you. Uh, he hears, but he doesn't understand. The word there for understand means just to put it all together. I don't know about you, but I've seen things, read things, heard things sometimes, and I just couldn't put it all together. But one day I did, maybe hopefully, but it, when I first heard it, I couldn't, I couldn't comprehend it. I just couldn't assemble it in my brain. And there's varying reasons for that. Adam Clark is of the Wesleyan condition, uh, condition, well, yeah, that too, but the tradition, uh, what condition my condition is in, uh, and he says, a careless, intent, inattentive hearer is compared to the wayside. His heart is an open road where evil affections and foolish and hurtful desires continually pass and repass without, without either notice of restraint. A heart where Satan has, as one terms it, ingress, egress, regress, and progress, in a word, the devil's thoroughfare, to the degree that you and I's life and our heart is an open road, and to the degree that we are embracing evil infections and hurtful desires, it's to that same degree that we have granted ingress and egress and regress and progress to the enemy, to our, to the devil, our enemy. And so one of the things I did want to point out in, in, in this part of the parable is when engaging the lost, Understanding that the lost certainly cannot understand, comprehend what they've heard within their mind. And so one of the things you have to do and I have to do, if you're talking to someone that you know is not a follower of Jesus Christ, or before you talk to someone, you need to pray for that person that God would grant them the grace of understanding. And God will do that. By grace, you have been saved, all of us. We've been saved. What does that mean? God gave us the ability, the abil- the, uh, the uh, encouragement and the ability to come to him and to comprehend what his Holy Spirit is saying to us because in our human ability, we can't do that. So you pray for that person that they would have the grace of understanding as you share the seed, the gospel with them. Um, he's, and he, in the parable, he talks about the enemy comes and snatches away that seed. And, and the word there is really a violent word. It's, it's really a violent snatching away. It's almost as if the Satan says, I got to get that before it becomes something. I can't have it becoming something. And then he talks about the one who hears with jubilation, with joy. This is the one where the seed falls on the rocky ground. And Jesus said, this person has no depth. This person is very shallow. And so when the pressures of life or persecution come their way, 
even though they have accepted the seed and with 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 joy, uh, the pressures of life come, and the scripture says that it causes them to stumble. Now, just again, this may be interesting to you, is that the word there in the original text for stumbles is the word scandalizo, which where we get our word scandal. And so a scandal occurs in their own heart because they have accepted, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Have you ever known of anybody that you've talked to and shared the gospel with, and they seem to go, wow, that's really good. But one day they're not around. And, you know, anyway, I, I won't get into what, I, what just went through my mind. I'll leave it alone. Uh, the, the next thing he talks about is those who hear among the thorns, those who hear outside and, and outside distractions cancel out the seed. The things outside cancel out the effectiveness of the seed, and that's the ones that go among the thorns. And he points out that it's the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches of the world. Do we understand that riches inherently are not evil? Do we understand that money, I'm not a prosperity preacher, you all know that, but money is not immoral. Money is amoral. It's not immoral or immoral. And so there are riches, but the deceitfulness of riches, that's a whole different issue. And Jesus is saying this can cause problems with the seed. And then finally, he talks about the good soil that it produces, and obviously 160 and 30. Now, in all three, all of these uh, uh, examples that Jesus uses in this parable, the sower is the same one, and it's the same seed that's being sown. There's no different. It's the different results depend on the varying soils. Or if you take the natural, move it into the spiritual, the, the different results depend on the hearts of the hearer. That's you and that's me. How we respond to the sower and to his seed. Now, when I'm talking to you today, followers of Jesus Christ, I am not talking about whether or not you're going to heaven. That was settled. The gospel song says that old account was settled long ago. That was settled when you became born again by the, by the Spirit of God and you were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that was taken care of. Your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. I said two weeks ago, when God wrote your, your name in the Lamb's book of life, he did not use disappearing ink. It was permanent ink. So when I'm not talking about whether or not you go to heaven, I'm talking about whether or not you can get heaven into the earth. That's your job. That's my job. So I want to just look at a few principles from these parables. These may or may not be in order, uh, but just, just some lessons that we can learn from what Jesus is teaching and apply them to our life. This, we've already said this, but I'll say it again. God begins everything with a seed. Let's read that together. God begins everything with a seed. Everything that's ever been, plants, humans, it all starts with a seed. Now, the second part is equally important that we understand is that Satan is always after the seed. Always after the seed. Why do you think, and I don't want to get off on this, but I don't mind talking about it either. Why do you think that we as 
a world, not just a nation, we have a, as a world have stood by and watched millions and millions and millions of babies be murdered in the womb of their mother because Satan is after the seed. And he's after the seed in your heart. He's after whatever is sown into your heart by whatever means. He would love to cancel the effectiveness of God's word into your heart. And we understand that fully grasping and comprehending the kingdom of God requires revelation from the Father, requires the ability to see from the Father. Jesus told Nicodemus, except that you are born again, born from above by the Spirit, except that you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot see it. You cannot understand it. You cannot comprehend it. The kingdom of God to me is a very simple thing, but to someone outside the kingdom, it may not be. Kingdom of God is just this, the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ in the hearts of men and women. It's just that simple. If you have submitted your life to Jesus as your king, I didn't say as your boss, although he is your boss, but as your king, as a benevolent king, who governs your life and cares for you, then you understand and you see the kingdom of God. It's not complicated. And when we talk about sowing the seed of the kingdom, we're not talking about sowing natural seed into natural dirt. We're talking about sowing spiritual seed into our hearts. That produces the kingdom and we can see it. Fully grasping it requires that we see. We must be able to hear his voice and we must be able to see with our spiritual eyes. And God gives us that ability. You can't turn that on and off except that you ask God to open your eyes. And he does. The song, uh, I, I woke up this morning thinking about this song. I'm not going to sing it for you. Uh, but And then I thought, well, that'd be great to quote from this morning. So I turned on my radio while I was getting something to eat, and it came on the radio. And so I got in my truck, headed down the road, headed here, turned on my radio, and the song came on again. I said, I, I get it, Lord. <laughs> my wife's watching, but I'm going to say it anyway. I may be fat, but I'm slow. <laughs> when you come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses... He walks with you, and he talks with you. Do we get that? I, I, I just wish I could stand on top of, of some building that wasn't going to get torn down and say to, to the world, and especially to Christendom, this is the essence of Christianity. It's not following a set of rules. Now, we got we got boundaries. And when you get outside the boundaries, God's going to deal with you. Because he loves you, just like you love your kid enough to go grab them out of the street when they run out in there. But the the essence of Christianity is not that we just find a set of rules, a set of beliefs and creeds or whatever and try to obey all of that. That is religion. But the essence is that I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And then he walks with me and he talks with me. Say talks. God's not dead. He's also not mute. He talks with you. And when God talks, life happens because it's his word in the garden. And that's why this condition of the soil is so important. 
Another principle that we're going to see here is that we must embrace his word. I don't just mean by that that we must believe the Bible, although we must. I don't mean by that that we must trust the veracity of the Bible, and and yet we must. I mean that we must embrace. um, He tells us in here, if you don't embrace it, Satan's going to steal it. If you don't embrace God's word, if you don't embrace the seed, Satan is wanting to steal it from you and steal the effectiveness of that seed. Don't let him do that. Jesus said to the Pharisees, by the way, this was not worldly pagan devil worshipers. These were the religious leaders that he's talking to. I've often pointed out that the only time you see Jesus angry in the Bible is he's angry at the religious leaders. He's never angry with the sinner. We don't see him angry with the lady caught, quote unquote, in adultery. We don't really see him angry with Zacchaeus, who's been stealing from his own people. I mean, you go down the list. But when he's dealing with the Pharisees, with the leaders, he's angry. It ought to teach us something. He said to them, you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. We, we, don't, we don't want to hear what he's got to say. We don't want anybody else to hear what he's got to say. And we certainly don't want to see the application of what he's got to say. So we got to figure out a way to kill him. And they were, they were looking to kill him. That wasn't proverbially speaking. He said, because you have no place. One, one version says that you have no room in your heart for my word. Well, no room. We'll deal with that in a moment. Actually, another part of the parable. But sometimes what keeps us from being that good ground that Jesus talks about is that we haven't truly embraced the Word of God to us. We haven't embraced it. The word embraced is a word that means to fasten on, like fastening on armor. It's like taking armor and just fastening it on us. It's a word that means to seize eagerly. When you approach what God says says to you, and I don't mean green angels on blue bicycles wearing polka dot shower caps. I don't mean that kind of nonsense. I'm talking about speaking life to your heart. When God's speaking, do you embrace that? Do you Are you eager to hear what God says and let him do his work in your heart? That's embracing his word. That's a, a proactively looking for it. Naaman was a, a, a officer in the Old Testament who had leprosy, and he went to go visit the prophet. And the prophet said, uh, they knocked on the prophet's door, and he said, hey, hey uh, Naaman's here, and he has leprosy. He wants to see the prophet. And he said, well, you tell him, uh, go down there to the Jordan River and dip seven times. Well, now here you are. You're, you're somebody. You, I mean, you, you're, you're prominent. You're important. You're, you have a big name in the community. And the guy don't even come to the door. He sends his butler. That's exactly what happened. And Naaman, that's his reaction. Who does he think he is? Does he know who I am? And so he left. Forget him. But he had a servant who loved him enough to say to him, Hey, uh, Naaman, if he told you to do something, it's really simple. You'd do it, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, why don't you just give this a try? Because, you know, the Jordan River at that time was the nastiest, filthiest body of water you could ever get into. 
So sure enough, they go down to the Jordan River. Naaman dips seven times, the sixth time. He still has leprosy. The seventh time, he does not. He responded to the word of God. He needed, this is another principle, by the way, he needed somebody in his life to say to him in his left ear, maybe you ought to consider God's word and letting it produce life in you. And, of course, he did. Another guy is the rich young ruler, which we dealt with just a few weeks ago. He heard God's word, but he had stuff get in the way. The Bible says he went away sad. There's a, there's a principle that I want to give you, and that is this. Poor people embrace God's word. Poor people. You say, well, my, I don't know how much money you got. No, it's not about money. I'm not talking about money at all. Poor people. Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And then Proverbs says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. So here we go again. We're going from the natural. We're going to move that into the spiritual. We're not talking about physical money, but we're talking about poor people embrace in this sense. If you know you have lack, you're going to try to do something about the lack. If you have convinced yourself that you're important, you figured it all out, you already know everything, you have no lack, you're not going to try to do something about your lack. The Bible says that it's only, everybody say only, it's only the hungry that God gives all good things. You got to be hungry. You can't be sitting around saying, I got all this figured out and God ought to be proud to have me. You can't do that. You have to say, I'm, you know, that's why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He wasn't talking about money. He said in spirit. Because we need to understand where we are and what we need and how we're human beings. And we need to know that we need him. We need to embrace. It's our deficiency that makes us eager for the words of life, wherever they come from. And Jesus he wasn't a very good pastor. Now, you know, I joke about that, but truth is, if you took today's, if you took church growth procedures and programs and you took church statistics and diagrams and all the things that they go by today, Jesus would be considered a failure. He's, he's got this big congregation and he says to him, nobody can have anything to do with me unless they eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, you, you know, that's a real easy way to cut down on your membership. <laughs> and he did. I think something like 800 people said, forget that. Now, when you run, I've run people off church all my life, but I've never run 800 people at one time <laughs> that I know of. But Jesus did. He ran eight, about 800 people off. And so, and then he does something that you should never do. Never as a pastor should you do this. He turned to the, the ones that were left. He said, you want to go too? <laughs> There's not a pastor's manual written that would suggest that. And yet Jesus does it. He said, you all want to go too? Why is he doing that? He's not mad. He's not depressed. He's not upset. He's doing that because he's interested in their heart. He's not just interested in their actions. He's, and so Peter, 
you know Peter's going to be the first one to speak up. Peter chimes in, and in the Granger paraphrase, he says this. Well, the fact is, we've looked around. We hadn't found anywhere we can go. Because you have the words of life. Nowhere to go. And so they stay. We've got to be that eager. And we might want to look around. I don't know. No, don't, don't be looking around. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And only and inherent in that statement is only you have, eter- have the words of eternal life. We must understand the power of this innate seed that he puts into our heart. And we also understand that embracing this word from God that he's... He's putting in our heart. Sometimes we don't even understand all that it means, but we know that God, either he's revealed something from the scriptures, we've heard something in a sermon, we've read something in a book that's supported by the scriptures, or wherever, and so he's doing something in our heart, but we understand he is doing something, but we have to require, it requires that we accept that with patience. Now, patience is a virtue. And... When I was 17 years old, I said, Lord, I'm praying that you would give me patience. I'm mad at a bunch of people today because not one person told me that the Bible says that it's tribulation that brings patience. It's, it's tribulation is another word for pressure. It's like squeezing a diamond, like what we talked about, the pressing of grapes and making new wine. That's tribulation. I didn't know that if I wanted patience, I had to go through all kind of, excuse my French, hell. (laughs) Hell on earth. At 17 years old. I did. I survived. We need to be able to embrace the word to us even if we haven't seen it in fruition yet. Remember Abraham and Sarah? God said, y'all going to have a kid. And they threw a party, man. Abraham went out to buy Jewish cigars. <laughs> 25 years later, Isaac was born. What do you think they were thinking at 24 years and six months? Or else she was pregnant by the end. So let's back up. 24 years. Yeah, let's give up. Let's forget this. Well, that's exactly what they did. You ever heard of Ishmael? But 25 years later, God's word to Abraham and Sarah came into fruition, but it didn't come immediately. Hmm. Another thing we learned from this, good Lord, I'm gonna, I hope y'all don't have anything in the oven. Um, the, the process of God is what makes our hearts pliable. Remember the part about stony ground and not having, not, and not having any depth and being shallow. We've all met shallow people, and some of us have been shallow in our own ways. But the, it's the process that takes the process of God in our life that takes care of that pliability. Hebrews three ten, God's speaking about the children of Israel, and He says they always go astray in their heart. They have not known My ways. Back to the main issue, and that's our heart. They always go astray in their heart. 
And that's because if we have stony ground, with another word for that is fallow ground, which is hardened, and we're told throughout Scripture, and we'll read a couple of verses in a moment, to break up our fallow ground. Now, oh, don't get, I don't want to get in the weeds, but there's a, I'm, I'm just going to say it this way. When he says break up your fallow ground, you can't do that. I can't do that. But you can have someone, you can present it to someone. I've always used this example. Y'all have heard this before. I tell you, I'm going to go get my truck washed. And right now, it really needs it, especially get all that salt off the undercarriage. But anyway, I'm going to go wash my truck. That's my words that I'll use to you. And then I'll take it down to the Screaming Eagle Express in Gallatin, and I'll drive through. Now, I hadn't touched that truck on the outside. But it'll get washed. Or I'll make it take it down here to Hermitage to this one uh, just by the railroad tracks and pull in there and get out of my truck and go sit in a chair while somebody else washes it. And get, and then when I get back, I say, where have you been? I washed my truck. <laughs> That's called the passive participle. That's why I don't want to get too far into the weeds because you're going to think I'm smart. But all I did was read. So anyway. But this is the thing that you, in Scripture, a lot of times when it says, when Scripture says, cleanse yourselves, you can't cleanse yourself, but you can present yourself to God who can cleanse you. And then you can say, I cleansed myself. I can take my car to the wash. I say, I washed the car. It's clean. How did it happen? I presented it to the ones doing the cleaning. Okay? So break up your fallow ground. How's that happen? God's process. Do y'all... Have you ever heard of uh, the word harrowing? There's a farm implement that I guess they still use. It's called a harrow, H-A-R-R-O-W. And it's it's like a plow except it's got teeth, multiple teeth that stick down, and you drag that through the field, and it breaks up that hard ground. As you drag it through the, the hard ground, it becomes softer, and you're turning it over. So that it becomes pliable. And so break up your fallow ground. Fallow ground is the ground that is untilled. It's the ground that's uncultivated. It is the ground that's un, unharrowed. By the way, that's where we get our term that you've gone through a harrowing experience. Harrowing experiences can turn over the soil of your heart. It will soften your heart and make it pliable. Jeremiah writes, break up your fallow ground and sow not among the thorns. Hosea says, sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground for it is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. If we habitually contend with the process that God wants to bring us through, We'll not be good receptacles for the seed, for the word. We've got to have hearts that are receptive. And God is going to do his work in you. If God, if you're a child of God, God, and I'm assuming everybody under the sound of my voice is, then God loves you enough to break up your fallow ground. He loves you enough to allow you to go through that harrowing experience. So that your heart can be soft and pliable. Bob Mumford is famous for a a quote that a lot of people have used, I've used. And he said this way, God will fix a fix to fix you. 
But if you fix the fix before it fixes you, God has no choice but to fix another fix to fix you. You get the message from that, that God is going to fix you. And he's going to fix me. Why does he do that? Because he loves us. And I don't want to resist his fixing. Then he talks about the, the, the seed that went into thorns and he's dealing there with, be, with freedom from alternate concerns. In our country, in the West, we probably deal with this more than anything else. We're fighting busyness. We're fighting clutter, distractions, agendas, schedules. God's word comes in and we can't, we don't have anywhere for it because it's all caught up in all of the stuff, alternate concerns of things that are always con- we're dealing with. We're too busy to do this and we're too busy to do that. I mean, I'm still turning down boards. People, you serve, nope. I'm serving on enough boards as it is because at one time I was serving on so many that I felt like a board. I mean, it was, but you have to learn that busyness will choke out what God's trying to do in your life. By the way, I, I taught on this not long ago, but I'm going to say it again. Take a Sabbath. Take a Sabbath. I don't care if it's Sunday. I don't bother. I don't care. I don't think any day is any greater than another one. But take a Sabbath. Don't work seven days a week. God didn't make your body. God didn't work seven days. Why would you? God did not make your body to work six, seven days. He made it to work six. Now, some of us can't get past working three days a week. I don't know about all that, but, but proactively, intentionally set aside a day that you do nothing as it regards work. I don't care if you own a business. I don't care. You don't think God can provide, then you just not trust God very much. That's not even in my notes. We need to identify those concerns and the activities that conflict with God's word in us. And we need to find a way to sever the ties with those so that we're not consumed with busyness and clutter and distractions. The enemy with God's people is not so much trying to draw you into dark, vile, uh, demonic activities, some people, but not so much. What he's trying to do with us is distract us. He just wants us to be distracted. And here's where he'll get you if you don't be careful. He'll get you distracted with religious activities. He'll get you distracted doing things down at the church house. Man, isn't that great? Because we think, well, this is really good. Well, does it conflict with the seed? Does it conflict with our hearing the voice of God? Then I don't care how religious it is, it's it's a problem. I mean, I, some people get mad at me. I get invited to all kind of meetings, good meetings, good Bible studies. I get invited to them all the time. I don't go to any of them. Because I know how it is. You get to that, go into that one and you, I say, I take that back. I go to two or three. But I could go to 20 a week if I wanted to. But I just say, no, 
I'm not going to do it. Well, yeah, but it's a Bible study. Well, yeah, it's a Bible study. But if I had 20 of those going in a week, I'd be so distracted and busy, I wouldn't know which way I was going. Thank God they're doing that. And thank God people are going. And thank God people are participating. But thank God I don't have to. And I'm not going to. If y'all want to fire me, that's good. (laughs) The final thing we're going to address is an honest and good heart. It's interesting Jesus says less about this than any other part of the parable. Because he understands that if we have a good heart, we don't need a bunch of trying to get us out of the weeds. But we understand that people of good soil hold fast to the word of God with all perseverance. We're not going to let it go. We understand that a good heart is an uncluttered heart. It's hard to have a good heart if it's cluttered. It's just, it's just, you can't do it. In a similar vein, a good heart is a pure heart. You haven't allowed the, the, the evil desires and the evil actions and philosophies to infiltrate your heart. It's pure for him. Pure. Maintaining a good heart requires being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. James 1, by the way, if you're taking notes. You're not going to have a good heart if you're not quick to hear, if you are not slow to speak, and if you're not slow to, if you're quick to anger, you're not going to have a pure, a good heart. You're not going to have good soil. All of us can testify to that truth. You don't need me to tell you. We've all been there. Maybe today. I don't know. Being good soil involves doing something with the seed. Now we're getting into. It's not just a matter of receiving the seed and letting it do its work in us, but do something with the seed. Remember two weeks ago, I said all of us, Scripture talks about all of us carry around a bag of seed. A bag of seed. Now, you can't see it. I can't see it, but it's there because we have received the implanted, engrafted Word of God, James 1, into our hearts. And because of that, we have seed with us wherever we go that we can sow into people's lives. Good soil is productive. Good soil produces. Good soil that is not distracted. Good soil that has depth. Good soil that is not shallow. Good soil that is not consumed with alternate concerns. It will be productive. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I'm afraid somebody might be asleep and they won't do it. But <clears throat> how many of us want to be productive for God? I mean, we want to be productive. You do, you, I'm, I'm, I hope you don't do this thing just because you don't have anything better to do. We all want to be productive. We want God's to, word to produce in us. And, but that productivity always translates to an outward focus, an outward direction. So I'll finish with this. We must be faithful bearers and, and sowers of the seed that is resident in each one of us. That's the, that's the soil that we all need to give attention to. Can you do that? Can you do that? Yes. Amen. Stand with me. You certainly can by the grace of God. <clears throat>